0: Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I'm so excited for our new sponsor, Richmond Graduate University. This is where I receive my master's degree, and I have nothing but positive things to say about them. If you've never heard of Richmond, Richmond Graduate University is a faith based nonprofit institution, and they have campuses in Atlanta, Georgia, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Richmond provides fully accredited graduate level training through its School of Counseling and School of Ministry programs. Richmond also has a network of counseling centers, and in 2018, they completed over 25,000 sessions. To learn more about Richmond Master's degree programs and counseling services, visit Richmond.edu. Today we get to hear from Dr. Douglas Rosenau. He is a certified sex therapist and a successful author. After listening to nearly 60,000 hours of stories, he still enjoys joining new clients in their own unique journey with care and acceptance. Today, we're going to talk about natural aphrodisiacs in marriage. Dr. Doug shares many stories to portray how couples can be playful with each other and enjoy the adventure and gift of sexuality as God intended. Here's our chat. Welcome back today, Dr. Doug. Thank you, Laura. It's so good to have you with us again. And for those who haven't heard our original chat, do you mind just telling us a bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Well, I am a missionary kid. And so I was actually born in Africa and grew up there and went to seminary. And I think my parents were kind of happy about that because I might go back to Africa, I think, with some of their thinking, but also ministry is good. And then I uh, I decided I really wanted, God was leading me more into counseling, being a therapist and being a counselor. So I was working on a master's and a doctorate at Northern Illinois University in counseling. And One of my friends went and took a sex therapy class at Loyola Med School. And so God really just laid on my heart to be a voice for healthy sexuality, especially within the Christian client population, um, people of faith. And it was really funny because my parents, I didn't know that at first, but they really struggled with their son, a sex therapist. It, it just didn't seem like that seemed to really oxymoron Christian sex therapist that did not seem to go together at all. Sure. But, but over time, they, you know, some of their friends came and said, you must be proud of your son because he's working in a very difficult and important area. And they became proud of me over time and actually were passing my books out before they passed away and so on. So, but it's been an interesting journey of really being a pioneer. I mean, I say, I don't say that lightly, but of being, you know, doing this in the 70s and especially the 80s and 90s and trying to sort through and really having coming again from a really Christian value system and and perspective and trying to help people of faith say sex is good. We can deal with it better.
0: You've yeah. done a great job and contributed so much to the field, which we are very grateful to you. You have, like you mentioned, you've worked in this field for decades. And you've documented various natural aphrodisiacs over time. Can you share some of those with us today?
1: Yeah, let's... um, I think when I think of an aphrodisiac, it would be something that could enhance a sex life, could enhance lovemaking. And uh, so everyone, I think, wants something artificial. There are natural aphrodisiacs. There are things that really can enhance... Your lovemaking can enhance your sex life. We're talking about how what gets in the way of, especially wives and and fun lovemaking, is just fatigue. That's really one research study said that was the number one thing that got in the way. So I think part of one natural aphrodisiac is learning Mm self-nurture to try to take time to be rested. You know, and, and I think that that is an aphrodisiac that sometimes husbands don't recognize that if she's got one or two or three kids, you know, she's on call, especially if she's a full-time homemaker, even if she's working a homemaker, even worse, maybe. And, and so things like just a natural aphrodisiac with the time and being rested might be just giving the kids a bath, you know, might be taking them to the park to let them swing on the swing set for a while. So I, I think that's an aphrodisiac we don't think about. This is kind of funny. One of my, I had a really country, I'm in Georgia. And so I had a really country client first time to do any type of counseling. At the end of it, I said to him, I said, so what do you think about counseling? And he says, you know, Dr. Rose now? you ain't told me nothing. My mama didn't tell me. And I and I said to him, and I said, Bud, I said, I bet you if you were doing everything your mama told you, you probably wouldn't even be here. And mama would say, get enough sleep, <laughs> you know, Thanks. eat right, be healthy. And I think that's an aphrodisiac actually, mm. you know, that, that, that if we really are trying to sort through, and I'm, I'm even throwing in the exercise part of it too, because I really feel like another thing that really is gets in the way of, Oftentimes, and this is more of a female thing with my aging clients, but the body image thing, mm-hmm. that's a real break, you know, real turn off at times where wives will think, Oh, I don't want to make love. I put on 20 pounds of baby weight and mm-hmm. I'm just not attractive. And, and I'm thinking, no, that's really in your head because probably and this would be another natural aphrodisiac, which is thinking we're sexy. <laughs> Cause I think that's true. Cause I, I remember, Just recently, the couple was saying, he was saying, I don't notice the baby weight. I love, he's like, I love being in you. I love you. I love everything. And she said, oh, no, no, no. We can't really have a good sex life until I've lost this baby weight. I finally said to her, I said, would you listen to him? I scolded her. I said, would you listen to him? He doesn't notice it. He doesn't notice it. Please believe him. But I would say. If body image is an issue, I'm more about being healthy than I am about weight. Mm-hmm. But but sometimes just having flexibility and taking a yoga class will make you a better lover. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at just what did mama tell you to do? Stay healthy, eat right, get enough sleep. So I think in aphrodisiac, sometimes it's just those practical things like that, Laura. Fighting body image issues, exercising, getting enough sleep and rest.
0: That is so good. And to touch on something that you brought up, I remember studying at Richmond Graduate University, and one of the first classes that I took with you as my professor, you said, similar to that example, that this woman was one of your clients, and she said, oh, these extra few pounds of baby weight, I'm carrying them. He's just looking at me and he's going to notice my pooch or that my thighs have gotten bigger. And you said, he just looks at her and says, oh, Naked woman. <laughs> yeah. Look at those nipples. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think that subconsciousness, cause you know, it's fascinating. I have had, I have had clients that came in more for converse, you know, more for communication skills, other thing. Sex wasn't the issue. And, and, and I thought, wow, they're both obese. She's 60 pounds overweight. And I've said, well, how's your sex life? And they've said, great. I just jump him all the time. And, and he's there grinning. Yeah, she does. And I'm thinking, wow, that woman's accepted. I am Eve. This is the Eve that I am right now. But it all, it is a good Eve.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. good. And you've talked about other natural aphrodisiacs before, one of them being deepening intimate companionship. So what are some stories that you've heard about couples offering acts of self-sacrificing love?
1: Well, you know, let me talk about that too. But one of the things that came to mind when you talked about deepening intimate companionship mm-hmm. is there really is such a thing as hotel sex. There really is such a thing as vacation sex. And, I'm, and I've and i tried to think through why it's, why it's that. And I think part of it is, as you feel closer. I mean, it's not that you're just at the beach. And maybe you're lucky enough to be at the beach, and the kids are at grandma's. I mean, that would really be lucky, but it, but it's that that you're spending that much time together and just having fun together. And so, I think that I think that this really is an aphrodisiac of taking time to be close and and really. So I think I think some of the I don't know if I were thinking about self-sacrificing. Maybe some of it would be usually within a couple, one of them missing a planner. Maybe that person needs to take, sometimes it's the husband, maybe that person needs to take the initiative to plan the vacation, mm-hmm. you know, it is interesting how the self-sacrifice of, well, let me give you an example. So couples will sometimes I'll, I'll get them to say, give me your favorite script of what, what it would look like for good lovemaking. What oftentimes comes up is the husband taking more initiative. Like even to get the babysitter or to get the kids over to the friend's house or whatever it is. So I think some of the self-sacrificing could be I'm taking initiative. Mm-hmm. And I don't think husbands realize sometimes how much that is an aphrodisiac to have said, you know, babe, we're going out Friday night. I've already got to sit <laughs> you know, or you know what? I'm going to surprise you Friday mornings. You know, we're going to a hotel tonight. Well, what about the kids? The kids are taken care of. Your, your friend Jeannie's got them. We've got them. we got it covered. And and, and I, it's a turn on. I don't think the husband even understands that that kind of attention to detail and, and the companionship and being able to be a little self, self-sacrificing, a little attentionality, how much of a turn on it can be, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Like the wife saying, wow, we're at the beach. Um, I'm going to put in a couple of his favorite lingeries or whatever it is, you know, we're going to, we're going to have some fun together. So I think there is ways that we're not doing what's natural. It is a little sacrificial, but it really pays
0: off. Mm-hmm. Just being be more aware and yeah. intentional, even yep. than self-sacrificing. Yep. Well, and you've written about this before that expressing empathy is different from agreeing with. Can you share more about that?
1: Well, actually, I got to piggyback on these examples of the gender differences, because I think that there's times where where we're trying to empathize, but it's not our reality. And so what I will say is empathy is walking in someone else's shoes, but it doesn't have to be being the other person's shoes. It doesn't have to be agreeing with it. Like if the husband or wife says, I like oral sex. And the other person is saying, ah, that doesn't sound very fun to me. Or I might do it, enjoy you doing it to me, but not me doing it to you or whatever. And so I'm thinking they don't have to agree. They just have to walk in each other's shoes better. Why do you like oral sex? Or why do you like this or that? Or what's going on with you? And so can you hear that? So empathy is understanding. That's my synonym. It's not agreeing. It's not thinking the same way. But if you understand, sometimes that helps you shift a little bit or helps you kind of think through what's important. Mm -hmm. We've talked, I always talk about meaning making. You know, what would you like your sex life to mean? You know, what would you like it to express? And so I think empathy really helps. So if the husband says, you know, there's something about your body that's just arousing to me, so that to me, part of oral sex is just I'm close to things that are very, you know, parts of you that are really arousing that. You share with no one else, and it's just fun. Or the man saying the same thing to the wife. You know, I'm sharing parts of me that are really important to my masculinity, and 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 you're enjoying it. So if they could talk about some of the meaning making and really the empathy more than the behavior, it would be helpful. Hmm. You know, because sometimes you can modify the behaviors. One one wife was saying to me, you know, I know he likes oral sex, and 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 she says, but there's just some part of that 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm really a neat freak and I'm really OCD about stuff. And, and I says, well, can you just play with his penis? You know I mean? Just to enjoy that part of masculinity that he finds very important and kind of defining who he is at times more so than, than, than should be. And, uh, and, and she said, Oh, I do that. We have fun. And I'm, I'm comfortable with that. She says, I sometimes even kiss it. I said, well, you know, I think you're doing all he needs. I said, maybe, Maybe if you could just keep playing with it and kiss it. So I'm trying to help them understand more empathetic than agreeing. And with the empathy, then maybe finding behaviors that work, but not getting all caught up in the behavior rather than really trying to hear what's really being desired or needed.
0: Yes. Getting to the heart. Yeah. Of yeah. It. Yeah. That
1: Which is an aphrodisiac, I think, to be able to talk like that and be able to to hear each other's reality and. To not judge it, but just understand it. Not agree with it or think, well, that's not something I'm going to do. But but just trying to understand it better.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly. And we're just going to go through, you have a list of these. So let's talk about a few more. Okay. One of them is focusing in the moment and being sexually mindful. So what are some ways women have told you that they're able to bring their minds into the bedroom?
1: Well, I think... I, you know, it's kind of fascinating, Laura. You know, we're both therapists, so we're there's just a huge kick right now. A huge, everything's on mindfulness. <laughs> there's just so much being written and, and and talked about with mindfulness, and then we're getting into kind of a debate: is mindfulness Eastern? Is it Buddhism or is it Christian? And I think it's just a good trade. I don't think we can assign it to a religious faith per se or or. Because it it really is that idea. Like one of the Christian fathers said that there's a sacrament of the present moment. I like that. That this moment, this moment of love making, is sacred. Could you please forget about the clothes being in the dryer? <laughs> you know. So I think with wives especially, and this is actually brain chems brain because wives their left and right hemisphere has a greater connection, and so they can multitask easier, and they can be distracted easier too. So I think that there's kind of two levels of mindfulness. I think with, especially with women, with wives, one level of mindfulness is, is just truly getting themselves into the bedroom with privacy, with connection with, and then I think the second level of mindfulness is really tuning into their bodies and allowing the feelings to be there in just pleasurable, meaningful, arousing ways. So I think both of those mindfulness oftentimes talks about spotlighting the senses and, and really focusing the senses. So I think that it, that a general level of mindfulness is just being present. And then there can be a more specific level of mindfulness that actually gets into really understanding and enjoying my arousal and my, my ability to be orgasmic or to become, you know, and to work on that. But I think that's very difficult. I mean, my wife will typical of wise, sometimes in the middle of lovemaking will lean over and say those really, you know, romantic words, granddaughters come tomorrow, I'm thinking, yeah, that's good. Okay. I like her too. (laughs) But she's thinking about things she hasn't gotten done yet. And uh, I'm thinking about, wow, this is fun. (laughs) So I think that whole first level of mindfulness is hard at times Mm -hmm. because clients will say to me that the wife will lean over and say, you know, baby's going to wake up in 10 minutes. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, that was really arousing. But, uh, but I think that there's some of that, that, Oh, it's just life. and But I, I think that there is ways that we can focus better. And maybe if the baby's going to wake up in 10 minutes, maybe you should just settle for intimacy and just kissing and cuddling and not having to go all the way. You know, mm-hmm. It may be a time to do that and, and enjoy each other. So focus, it's hard but important. You know what's fascinating too is I'm working more with aging clients, with boomers that are now 50 to 75, mm-hmm. you know, and so, or 55 to 75. And and as men grow older, testosterone's lower. They have to learn to focus better. And so mindfulness, to me, for a guy who's 68, is going to be a quest. Also, you know, lessening distractions and being able to really be there mentally, and then really focus and allow the arousal to be there. Mm-hmm. So I think I think there's differing populations, like women and their multitasking ability and their distractibility are aging that this mindfulness is really an important aphrodisiac, being able to focus and be really present.
0: And there's hope because it's a learned skill. So you can grow in that. Oh, yeah. That's encouraging. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Richmond Graduate University's School of Counseling program has a proud reputation of faith integration and clinical excellence. Richmond's Master of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling is CACREP accredited and graduates consistently perform in the top 15% on their National Counselor Examination. The School of Counseling also features graduate certificates that offer specialized training for students and licensed professionals. Certificates are available in marriage and family therapy, Christian sex therapy, trauma counseling, child and adolescent counseling, spirituality and counseling practice, and addictions counseling. During my time at Richmond, specifically on their Atlanta campus, my life was profoundly changed. Spiritually, it was a season of growth through the personal connection with faculty and mentorship you benefit from as a student. And after graduation, it was easy to land my first job in California, as Richmond had a great reputation around the country. With campuses in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online, Richmond is known for its distinguished faculty and unparalleled in-field training. The university enjoys a rich heritage beginning back in 1933. You can learn more about Richmond by visiting richmond.edu. That's R I C H M O N T.edu. If you live in the Chattanooga or Atlanta areas, you can also visit Richmond at an upcoming preview day to learn more about their master's programs, connect with their faculty, and tour their campus. Thanks for your sponsorship. What about another one that you've talked about is developing romance, adventure, and sensual variety. What are some ways that couples can explore individual inspirations?
1: You know, one just little way that would be easy is planning sexual surprises. I think that's a way to get variety and romance and to keep that lover, that flirtatious, I like you, but I'm not only your roommate and your parenting partner, I'm your lover. (laughs) You know, you are important to me. So I, I think that trying to plan sexual surprises, and it's always fascinating to me when I give that assignment to clients, how creative they can be. One of them, it was Christmas time. And so her husband was out jogging the kids were gone that night. So she made up
0: this pallet
1: with only the Christmas tree lights. And she had on next to nothing lingerie. And when he came in the door, she was on there underneath it the, like his Christmas gift. So <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was, it, it, so I see a lot of different things like that that are just just surprises that are playful at times or are sometimes just thoughtful, like getting the babysitter. So the reason I thought about that with surprise is that I have had wives at times to have the kids gone and truly meet their husband at the door naked. I mean, you know, behind the door. So the neighbors didn't see, but I'm thinking there's all kinds of things that are just surprising that we can do that keeps the flirtation and, and that sense of romance. I think also when you look at romance that I get convicted all the time as being a therapist, cause I'll suggest things to my clients. Like I had one husband, I said, when's the last time you he got her flowers? He said, it's been a long time. That very week, my wife said, you haven't got me flowers in a long time. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, here I am coaching romance and I am not very romantic. <laughs> so like one of my clients, he was going to be out of town. So he just put little notes all over. And when he called her, he said, go look in the, you know, in the spice closet and look in the cookie jar or go look in whatever. And so... He was, I thought, oh, sometimes I get I get angry at husbands that set such a good example. It makes me feel shamed, you know, like, where are my notes? So I think there's a lot of things that we could do that are surprises, that are thoughtful, that are romantic, that really keep the buzz alive, you know, keep that, that energy going.
0: I love that. And you always use the word playful. And that is so playful. It keeps it fun and energizing. Yeah. Another aphrodisiac that you talk about is indulging in uninhibited feelings. So what do you see as some roadblocks to couples being able to be playful with one another?
1: You know, some of these things I've thought about so long, but I think with this one, it's the inability to be childlike. It's really fascinating to me that the great wisdom teacher Jesus said, if you really want to understand heaven, the kingdom of heaven, God, study little children. And, and I've really thought about that so much over the years that part of really expressing feelings is being childlike. I think of little kids, how excited they get about, they anticipate better than we do. We've, we've gotten jaded as adults. And so they can get excited for two hours over an ice cream cone. And And then I think about little children, how curious they are. I mean, they just run around naked and don't know they're naked. (laughs) So I'm thinking, what do we do to really express feelings? I think part of it is learning to be childlike again, to squeal, to, you know, to really express those feelings and, and to have more of them and to be uninhibited around the feelings. So here's a, here's an exercise I sometimes give my clients. I'll say I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. So we're near a, a amusement park called Six Flags and Six Flags has like 10, 12 different roller coasters. So I'll say to them, I want you to go to Six Flags and just you and your wife spend a Saturday at Six Flags. If you have to take the kids, OK. But but I want you to ride on about, you know, five or six or eight of the roller coasters. I want you to squeal and laugh and throw your hands up and ride in the back car, which bumps you more and just really have fun and be childlike again. And I say, oh, I think we could do that. That'd be hard. I think we could do that. But here here's really I said, no, 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 no. That's not my assignment. My assignment is. I want you to bring all those feelings back to your bedroom and I want you to squeal and laugh and feel like you're on the last car and just really have fun and anticipate just like a roller coaster. And it's hard as adults to be that playful and to be that uninhibited with feelings. We just get our feelings kind of, especially men, but, but women too. We just, you know, big boys don't cry. And, you know, and we kind of push the feelings back and we don't get as excited. And because I sometimes will say, do you groan or squeal? And I think for a healthy sex life, you've got to learn to express feelings.
0: Definitely. And that gives such a good picture to understand yeah. and bring it down to a different level. Are you aware of our newly launched Patreon? If you want an opportunity to access additional podcasts and other freebies, please check out our website, thesavvysauce.com, and click on our Patreon tab. For as little as $2 per month, you can unlock some of these freebies as you support our work at The Savvy Sauce. If you want to keep listening for free, we totally understand, and we simply ask that you share this episode with a friend. It should take you less than 10 seconds, and this grassroots approach is the best way to spread the savvy sauce throughout the world. Each one of you plays an important part. Thanks for participating. We've got a few more that you've mentioned. You talk about creating spontaneous structure, and so breaking that down, how do couples negotiate or compromise to find a healthy rhythm for how often is good for them to connect sexually? I purposely
1: put what seems like an oxymoron, spontaneous and structure. Those don't go together really, but I'm putting them deliberately together because I will say to couples, especially if they have two or three kids, I'll say, you probably have in a week maybe four optimal times when you could actually have sex. So are we going to camp on spontaneity? Or are we going to camp on optimal times? So I really feel like couples' sex lives really suffer because they don't they don't structure enough, and they don't realize that you can't be spontaneous anymore. You're going to have to be structured. And it's so pleasing to me, like couples that make a time sacred. I was working with a couple of young couples, and they knew that I didn't. They were in the same small group in their church, same small group, and they knew I never shared anything. But I said, oh, I need to call that couple back. And they said, don't call them tonight. Thursday is their sex night. I said, is that what they call it? No, they call it their date night. Uh, <laughs> they call it their date night, but they really schedule stuff off. They will not even pick up their phone on their date night. They make it sacred. And I thought, yes, Lord, thank you. We need to sometimes make things sacred and really have an optimal time that we protect, actually. And so it's kind of funny with that couple. Small group stayed off of their date night. Mom and dad stayed off of their date night. You know what I mean? If it was a concert they were going to, it probably couldn't be Thursday night. You know, I mean, they really, I think they would make exceptions. But so where does spontaneity come in? I think spontaneity comes in during the optimal times. One couple came to me and they said, we haven't made love in three months and we really enjoy sex. And they went through the whole litany of, you know, mom came to visit and the kids got the flu and her period's. And blah blah blah, they just tried to give me all the reasons why they like sex but hadn't made love in three months, so I just said I gave my optimal time speech. (laughs) You know, I said I I I think, I think that you guys are just not going to have much of a sex life, if you don't really think through and structure in some times. So they were trying to think through one time during the week and one time on weekend, and they were saying I think maybe Friday night would be the best night. And I said, well, why don't you just make make one of them sacred and. So they were they were gonna settle on Friday night and try to make that at least once a week for a while to see if they could get over the, you know the, almost inertia that takes place when you don't have sex in a while, and there's sexual inertia body sex life at rest tends to stay at rest, and you got to kickstart it. So anyway, we, Friday night was the night, and I said, don't make me call you, Laura. These were the last words going out of my office, Doctor Doug. You have destroyed all of our spontaneity, and I. I said, oh, I am three months. You haven't made love and I'm destroying your spontaneity. I said, I am so sorry <laughs> for destroying your spontaneity. But I said to them, I'm not destroying your spontaneity. I said, I'm not telling you when and how and where to do anything on Friday night. I said, you may you may make your lovemaking your dessert after a really great meal out together, or you may come home and just have the kids gone and just enjoy each other and before you go out to eat. Or you may have the freedom of making love on the dining room table rather than your bed. I mean, I'm not destroying your spontaneity. I'm just saying if you don't have an optimal time, I'm sorry. That structure is really, really critical if they have a great sex life.
0: It's so good. Because I don't
1: work with any couples that aren't busy. Even if they don't have children, they're way too busy to have a great sex life unless they really plan some.
0: Yes, I think that's crucial to hear. That's really good and practical. And let's hit on one more that you say it's communicating before, during, and after lovemaking. If couples are looking for a way to communicate today, what is one follow-up discussion question that you recommend they ask each other?
1: To me, what's really important with the communicating is I'm actually wanting them to try to think through how they can communicate more about lovemaking and during lovemaking. So I'm really, Laura, what I would want them to really sort on would be, what? how do you communicate about sex before lovemaking? How do you flirt? How do you initiate? How do you tease? How do you really do some anticipation and build up? And so I think things like tonight's the night, texting and not to her boss, but to his, you know, and, and just being able to, to have that kind of anticipation and build up. So that would be applying it, especially to lovemaking before. And I think during lovemaking is really important. I don't think couples communicate enough during lovemaking. Like one example that I have, and I thought this was so touching, was one of my clients had been really severely sexually abused and traumatized. And so she got triggered a lot during their lovemaking. And she says, you know what really keeps me in the present and keeps me with my husband and my lover? I said, what? he talks to me and she said he'll just talk and it's not always sexy dog it's sometimes just oh i enjoy you or isn't this fun and oh i'm looking forward to the weekend and being with you and and she said just his voice keeps me present so i think we really lose at times some of the some of the fun that we can have by not talking more this was this was just really keeping her present and really involved but i think it's also an aphrodisiac to be able to just spontaneously say wow that's great was doing a marriage conference somewhat recently actually last friday and so we were talking about this talking during lovemaking because i think it's a real aphrodisiacs and and they were saying wow so you do and he said sometimes we do and i said i pray during lovemaking they said no (laughs) 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 and uh and 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 i said yeah i said i said sometimes i've just been praying lord thank you for her vagina Thank you for sex. Thank you. This is such a meaningful way to feel connected and feel one flesh. And I'm just enjoying this so much. Thank you. Thank you. And they were just laughing. And then one of the guy, one of the young husbands in the thing said, well, I actually pray too. Oh Lord, please let me last. You know, (laughs) I said, well, that's a good prayer too, bud. (laughs) So I think during the communicating and the enjoying and the talking and just really sharing. I think that's important. And then the after is just kind of the afterglow of really saying, Oh, that was meaningful. Wow. I enjoyed this or whatever. So I think that there's that communicating that couples can do that really gives them, um, just that intimate connecting that they want, you know, that meaning making that, that this is fun. This is affectionate. This is really, you know, something I do with no one else. So I think the talking, we don't do enough of.
0: That's so good. And if somebody is local here in Atlanta, and they want to meet with you or schedule an appointment to learn more about these things or improve their sex life, where would you direct them to go?
1: Well, where you went to graduate school, Richmond Graduate University, we have a sex therapy track. So actually, Atlanta really is blessed with a lot of sex therapists, but they could call me, Doug Rosenau, R-O-S-E-N-A-U. The the nonprofit that, that I work with and help found is called Sexual Wholeness. And we're just working on our website now, but we have a good sexualwholeness.com, one word, sexualwholeness.com. And we have a list of sex therapists there. We have a, our, our certifying board is called the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists. And so we, we have up there our associate and certified people around the country. So that would be another resource that they could have, sexualwholeness.com and could go there and they could find resources perhaps in their state at least that could, that could be helpful for them.
0: That's great, and then additionally, you've also published quite a few books. Could you just share a little bit about those, so somebody sure. who isn't local here could still go to Amazon and find one of these if they wanted to learn more about these topics?
1: Okay, well, one of them, one of them is called Total Intimacy, and I talk about the colors of intimacy and and just how to build a better sex life. This may be stale or maybe trauma through an affair, or other things or sexual abuse. So it really is a good book for husbands and wives, and a lot of a lot of good discussion questions and practical advice. Total intimacy, just hundred pages. And then I also have written a book called A Celebration of Sex, and that's kind of my big manual that's been out since '94 and it's the second edition. I'm thinking of a third edition, and and it's. Uh, I always tell people with when you get a 400 page manual. It's only, they should bump the prize, but it's only like 18 bucks, which is pretty amazing. in today's, it should be 26, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think Celebration of Sex would be one that would be worth buying, even if it's for a couple chapters in it, you know, just, just pick and choose body image or making love during the children years or whatever, you know, the world's greatest lover, which is more about attitude than it is about technique. So that would be, and then I've spun off from Celebration of Sex, Celebration of Sex After 50 for aging. And I have A Celebration of Sex for Newlyweds, which is just a little 135 page book that kind of condenses some of the bigger concepts in a celebration of sex. That's so, great. Yeah.
0: And there's one that you're working on currently that we can be looking out for a revised edition for singles. Could you right. tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I just really feel like singles are neglected. And so often in my Christian background, we, we say to wait. But we never say why we're disciplining genital sexuality and why we feel like genital sexuality should be more, it can only be really fully expressed in the trusting, committed relationship of marriage. And so it's called Soul Virgins, and I'm I'm going to rework it some, but it's, it's the idea of a bigger picture is not what you're not doing, it's how can God call you to be sexually whole as a person? How can God help you embrace horny? That's a big word in my book. You need to embrace horny. All of us have sexual desire and arousal. It's what we choose to do with it that can affect us. It's not that we have them that's wrong. It's just how we choose to to steward them, to discipline them really. So that that'll be a book I would yeah, if you have single friends and ones that are trying to make sense of sexuality. So now it's titled Soul Virgins and Soul in scripture oftentimes is just the total personhood, a three dimensional body, mind and heart personhood. So I'm trying to say your chastity is more than just what you don't do or do. It's your personhood. It's what you're trying to create, both single and married. Yeah.
0: That's so good. Thank you for sharing about all of those. I know they will help a lot of people. And we're called the Savvy Sauce here for a reason. Savvy means practical knowledge or insight. And so today, as our final question, Dr. Doug, we'd love to hear, what is your Savvy Sauce?
1: My Savvy Sauce today would be... Forget about spontaneity. Find those optimal times and get a regular sex life. It is amazing what that is intended to do, to clear the air, to keep you connected, to keep you intimate. So really talk with your mate. What would be at least one time a week that we're going to try to keep sacred? What would be another time or two that we could fall back on or that we would enjoy together? So I think I I would just say, let's find some optimal times and make them sacred. I don't think sometimes couples think through how having a good sex life isn't optional, that that really is God's intent for marriage. And that there really is a way. It's fascinating that couples that do have a good sex life, they don't argue as much and the arguments don't last as long. Somehow sex clears the air. It makes them feel more connected. They have more, they cut more slack somehow. Some of the research would say, that a good sex life like that in marriage really does actually prolong your life. And it really is a stress release. And that those couples that make love frequently are happier. (laughs) I like to think that as a sex therapist, (laughs) but I don't think we do think through sometimes that this is not just us saying do it. This is us saying there's tremendous benefit by trying to find that optimal time. And that having regular connecting, I don't think wives understand at times that, Making love to their husband more than anything else makes them feel an item. I think more than anything else makes them feel... Because wives will sometimes say to me, why does he go around grinning for a day or two? I'm saying it's not just because he had an orgasm. It's because he really feels connected and likes you more somehow with just all that oxytocin flowing and and, and the hormones and other kinds of things. So I, I, I think it really is so bonding and and more so sometimes than couples really even understand and it clears the air. And it just is, is, it also is to me, a way for adults to play. You know, how do we be childlike and play as adults? Well, God gave us sex, you know, in marriage that really can be a, a, a playground, you know, a time of just really having fun together. So I, I thank you. I think that when we look at the optimal, we've got to be careful to really realize this is important. There's a lot of benefits to this.
0: Certainly. Well, that's such a great note to end on today. Thank you for all that you've contributed to this field. Thank Thank you you. for your continuing work and encouraging even the next generation and your resources that are out there. You're a wonderful friend, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.